This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. You're born again, you're a Christian, you accepted Christ as Lord and personal Savior, and the Lord loves you. You've been saved through Christ, and you have faith in Christ. However, it says here, a good worker. A good work is an unashamed worker, and must uh, present ourselves approved before God. That's why I say we have to find out what pleases the Lord as we continue in this relationship with Jesus Christ, because you and I know it's not religion. Where do we go once we've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior? In today's teaching, Pastor Eddie will show listeners that our hearts should desire to please the Lord with our actions. Of course, we know that our salvation is not dependent upon good deeds. But as we grow in relationship with Jesus, our Christ-like action should also grow. Do you need to consider if your life is truly following Christ today? He wants more for you. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. As he begins his message, Approved and Disapproved Workers. Second Timothy chapter two, as we work our way through the epistle written by the apostle Paul to his protege, Young Timothy, pastor there at the church of Ephesus some 2,000 years ago. It's for us leaders, and it's for us, all of us, uh, even if you're not a leader, it's applicable for all of us. 2 Timothy chapter 2. In our last study, we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And there the Apostle Paul began chapter 2 with three metaphors. He gave us uh, what it is to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He also used the metaphor of an athlete who only would win if they obeyed the rules. Okay, and the farmer who must first partake of the fruit. So a farmer does a lot of work in order to see the fruit. So those are good illustration metaphors in verses 1 through 13. Now that brings us to verses 14 to 26. Paul will continue with a few metaphors there. So let us pray as we study the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the word. Your word would not hit the ground or not return back to you void. It will stand forever and ever. Lord, here we are is the proof that we as your church are uh, the evidence of the power of the word, the power of salvation and the blood of Jesus Christ. We hear today some 2,000 years uh, from the crucifixion and, and even from the writings of these epistles. We're learning from it today because it's the foundation and it stands today. It will not return back to you void. Heaven and earth will pass, but not your word. So Lord, as we now continue our study of 2 Timothy, we ask your Holy Spirit, who's the author of all the books in the Bible, the author who inspired the Apostle Paul to write this letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, uh, we ask that you would be our teacher, Lord. So open up, Lord, our eyes that we may see, our ears to hear your word, our minds to understand your word, and our hearts ready to receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. Paul writes, Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord, not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruins of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babbling, they will increase in more ungodliness. And their message would spread like cancer. Hamenaeus and Philetus are of the sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrew the faith of some. Nevertheless, the sound foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, used for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, and those who will call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. You know, as a believer in Christ, it should be our desire to please God. It should be our desire to be approved by God, not by man, but by God. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 10 tells us this. Find out what is acceptable to the Lord. Find out what's acceptable to the Lord. Another translation gives it like this. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And yes, we are saved by grace. We have eternal life through Jesus Christ. But as we live in faith, we must also understand that with our lives as believers in Jesus Christ, we ought to find out what pleases the Lord. We want to be approved by God. Believe it or not, some could be disapproved by God. And that's what this whole text is all about. And so we're going to look at three things in our passage. In verses 14 to 19, it speaks about the unshamed worker. The unshamed worker. In verses 20 to 22, gives us uh, what it is to be a vessel of honor, a vessel of honor. And verses 23 to 26, we'll see the gentle servant. So we read our text. Let us now study the text verse by verse. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says, remind them, remind them these things, charging them before the Lord. Remind who? The them Paul is referring to, if you remember in our last study. The them, he's talking about those Faithful men who will be able to teach. Those who are, are going to be leaders. Remember, this is an, a pastoral epistle. And 
Paul is passing down his mantle of ministry to his protege, his son in the faith, knowing that he will soon be put to death. And now Timothy is now going to be leading these other pastors in the churches. And so he's charging them. He says, charge them. And he remind them and charge them. Remind them that they're not to be ashamed of the gospel. We studied that in our last study. Also, to hold fast to the gospel and also to share the gospel. That's what Paul wrote to Timothy in our last study. Now he's charging them. He's giving them command in the presence of God. And, you know, when you do something, you're doing something in the presence of God. And so Paul does not need to explain who he is as an apostle of Jesus Christ. What I'm telling you, I'm telling you in the presence of God. So this is sacred. And so, and he's saying not to strife at the bottom of the the end of verse 14, not to strife about words to no profit to the ruins of the hearers. Now, the false teachers, they love to sound smart. They like to use words and phrases to really catch your attention. Even though they don't know what they're saying, they're totally teaching something opposite of the scriptures. That's why they call false teachers. But they love to argue about non-essential things. And sometimes, to be honest, it may not necessarily only be false teachers, but it may also be, uh, you know, the people in the church, Christians, we argue about non-essential things. <laughs> you know, and it's like really, uh, you know, and I, sometimes I myself have come across a lot of people like that. I remember my early years as a pastor, I came across one that, you know, one individual who was really from the hyper-Calvinistic view, he had his bent there, and, you know, he was saying, well, all these questions, how do you know if the person is saved? It's not my business to know who's saved, One thing I know what the Bible tells me, and there's three times this passage is mentioned throughout the scriptures, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. That's it. And you take, let's put it this way. You take the train and I take the plane. We're going to get to heaven. And some people get into all these arguments about the useless things. And so that's what the uh, false teachers, they love to do. However, we're we're to strive. When we come across those conversations, and even from those who are false prophets, the scripture tells you and I that we're to not strive over these words. Why? There's two reasons why, and Paul tells us. Number one, it's useless. There's no profit in it. It's useless. If you're going to heaven, which is the main essential things of doctrine, justification by faith, right? Those are the things that are important. Because one has to repent. And on the 10th of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said you must be born again. (laughs) Billy Graham didn't say that. The Pope didn't say that. Jesus said it's in red lettering. You must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Those are essential. Those are things that are important. But the, they like to attract people with not essential things. And, but So that's the first thing. It, it brings no profit and it's useless. So don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. The second thing, it brings ruin to those who are hearing. Now the word ruin in the Greek is Castafreo, Castafreya, whatever. It's in the Greek. But anyway, we get the English word catastrophe. That's where we get the English word from. And it means to overthrow. It means destruction. And that's what it does. And I would never want to be known for a person to waste my time or hear someone else say, hey, Eddie was talking to this guy about this. What is that? I'm going to say, that's really nothing. So I don't want to be known as a person who wastes my time in useless conversations. Not, not so much conversation, but, you know, talking about things that are useless, that are non-essentials in the body of Christ or compared to the word. So don't waste your time arguing false teachers about these words. They mean absolutely nothing. 
But here's the scary part is the second reason. It brings ruin to those that are listening, especially those who are young in the faith. Because they may hear you having this conversation about something that has nothing to do with, with the gospel, has nothing to do with justification by faith, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, you know, you may not catch their ear, but you entertain a person that's teaching falsely, they're going to hear his words. They're going to hear his words. And his words might be more attractive than yours. And so that's why we should not waste our time. Quite often... We do, again, have these conversation like the tribulation. You know, there's a pre-trib, mid-trib, and there's a post-trib, and there's a pan-trib. The pre-trib is what I believe. I am so pre-trib, I don't eat post-Wheaties. That's corny, but it's funny. Anyway, <laughs> at the same time. But anyway, mid-trib. So are we going to be raptured before the great tribulation? That's pre. Are we going to be raptured in the middle of the great tribulation? That's mid. Or after the great tribulation? Or the pantry, but those say, well, I don't care. However it pans out at the end, you know, which is true. That should be our attitude. But, you know, we find in the scriptures, there are many, many scriptures that supports the pre-trip. But nonetheless, people get caught up into that. The reality is God knows where you are. Regardless when he's going to rapture you, it's his time. He's going to get you. He knows where you're, you're going to go to heaven, but people argue about these things. I heard people that really get flames, smoke coming out of their ears. It's like, whoa. I said, dude, relax. You know, relax. It's okay. You know, God knows when to come and we're just going to, because we belong to him. So, um, but, you know, if you're born again, you're going to be raptured. Those are the things that's important. Again, justification by faith, biblical doctrine. Don't get caught up in this nonsense. So he says, don't dispute over words, uh, number one. Is they useless? Secondly, they ruin those who listen. Verse 15, he says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, I love the way the King James puts it, you know. I'm not a King James guy, the thou, thus, you know, because I don't talk to my wife that way. I don't talk to my kids that way. I don't think my dog, even though he doesn't understand English, would understand that. You know, you know, you start talking to God in, in, in King James, oh, thy Lord. God would bless it, but the Lord say, what are you talking about? <laughs> not just kidding. He's not going to say that. He understands. <laughs> but it's like people think that oh, it's more holy because you speak in, you know, in, in, in you know, King James Version. You know what I mean? Old English. You know, and that's the, only, that's the only kind of prayer God listens to. No, that's not the truth. But anyhow, but I love the way uh, King James puts it. It says, study to show thyself approved unto God and a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word. So it's a study. And I think that's important because in context of the whole verse, that's what it's saying, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's what we must do in order to be approved by God. So we're to avoid arguments, but here, avoid the arguments, usually, but rightly divide the word of truth if you want God's approval. And that's to be zealous. Be zealous about the word of God. I don't know about you, and you may say, well, that's because you're a pastor. No, I was always fascinated by the word of God, always. Because the more you study it, the more you're going to realize this Bible is definitely out of this world, which it is. <laughs> it's come from heaven. It comes from Christ. But when you see, even till this day, to this day, the Bible is turning lives around. It's powerful. There's no other book on the shelf in Barnes & Noble, your shelf, or any shelf, in even the library across the United States. No other book even kept in the treasury of the United States, you know, uh, where they keep all these old books that are copyrighted, whatever. But nonetheless, there's nothing greater than the Bible. Nothing. 
And to be approved by the Lord, we are to study the word. Now, you may say, well, I thought I was saved. You know, why do I need to be approved by God? Yes, you're saved. You're born again. You're a Christian. You accepted Christ as Lord and personal Savior, and the Lord loves you. You've been saved through Christ, and you have faith in Christ. However, it says here, a good worker. A good work is an unashamed worker and must present ourselves approved before God. That's why I say we have to find out what pleases the Lord as we continue in this relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you and I know it's not religion. It's not religion. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not, okay, I'm going to the cross. I'm saved. I got that card that says you can pass code, collect $200. That's not what salvation is all about. But it's a, it's a lifestyle. It's returning. That's why the word repentance means to turn your life around. And now you're going to live differently than you used to before your cross, before your BC days, before Christ. We're to live, and as we live in this life, we grow in our faith, we, we get closer to the Lord, but we also must, you know, find ourselves approved to God. And how do we do that? How can we uh, show ourselves approved to God? How can we actually get on our knees or come to church and actually say, well, God, I, I want to know if I'm approved by you. Well, you want to know how? Paul tells us. He says, by rightly dividing the word of truth. You and I can be approved by God by rightly dividing the word of truth. And uh, rightly dividing, that phrase, it means cutting straight, cutting straight. And, and Paul, he's probably thinking himself, he's a tent maker, and cutting the canvas of this tent, the material, he has to cut straight. So probably he's using this term. But you see that uh, with a craftsman who cuts straight, a farmer who plows straight, and a mason who sets his straight line in order to lay down the bricks. So in the same way, these craftsmen, the mason and the farmer would set things straight, rightly dividing the word of truth. So too, you and I must rightly divide the word of truth. And what does it mean? It means to look at all of Scripture, all of Scripture, and so if we want to be approved by God, we must rightly divide the word of truth. Now, remember, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to pastors. This is a pastoral epistle, and it's, and it's one of the requirements he gave us in 1 Timothy. The requirement of a pastor, bishop, is to be apt to teach. They have to be able to teach. They can't be Reverend Nyquil. They have to make sure that they get everybody's attention. And the point is that they're learning and growing. And it's a gift from God. Trust me, because I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I am not the, I am the perfect testimony of what God can do to someone who's not that smart. I'm serious, <laughs> you know? And you say, oh, no, because you, you, when you constantly read the Bible, there's something happens. You get a wisdom that the world cannot give you. You understand things. You understand creation. You don't worship it. You only worship the creator, you see. And you see why there's so much sin running rampant in our world today. So we are to rightly divide the word of truth. And what does that actually mean? That means that you really need to take into account in everything you're doing. If you're building something, you need to make sure the measurements are right, correct. And that's throughout the whole process. So... To rightly divide the word of truth, this is what it means to study the word of God, to interpret the word of God, not allegorically, but literally. Look up the Hebrew and Greek words so we can have an understanding because there's a, a little barrier between the English language and the language in which the scripture were written for you to fully understand. You need to understand the words. 
Not only that, you must consider the historical, the cultural, the geographical backgrounds of the scripture. That's the come when we, every time we begin a new book, what do we do? I give you the background. What was the meaning, the purpose? What was going on during that time? What was the, you know, what's the key verses? And, you know, what was going on with the church, the history? It's important so you can have an understanding because you'll find the more you understand the history of every book, the more you can see how much it applies for us today. It says, wow, just like Rome, yes, you know. And you see how Egypt, you know, is a symbol of the world. And so you understand that. We're not to add or take away from the scriptures. We're not to water it down. We are to teach what it says. If the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin, it doesn't matter if legislators are passing laws. It is a sin. It's a sin against God. If the Bible says, you know, abortion is murder, it is murder. I'm not going to water it down and give it some political term and be politically, oh, you can't say that. No, that's what the Bible says. It was written way before you were born. So I'm going to follow this. So you see, you got to teach what it says regardless of your culture background. You must stick to the word. And number one thing when you study the word context is king. Context, context, context. You know, quite often we think we take a verse here and a verse there or a passage here and a passage there. And then, you know, you lose a lot of what Paul or any of the writers are trying to say. Do you know that the Bible is the only book, the only book where people just take portion of it and quote it? The only book. You won't do that with Shakespeare. I mean, the Bible's not a dictionary where you look up a word. You know, the Bible, it was written, I mean, we have the chapter and verse breaks, but they weren't originally there in the original text. I thank God for the translators who actually divide the, the chapters, the books, and the verse. Can you imagine finding a passage in the book of Isaiah? 66 chapters. Okay, I'll come back to you tomorrow. you see if you can find that passage. I am grateful for the translator, but because it's written in chapters and verse breaks, we think we could just take a verse here. Oh, this is what it means. No, let's, let's read it in context. Let's see what he's saying before and the verses after. Better yet, let's read the whole chapter. Better, better yet, read the whole book so you can understand the theme of the book. Keep it in context. And this is why there's a lot of false teachers. That's why Christians, you know, Christians are not eating healthy spiritually. You know, every time, you know, Judy cooks, and that, I, I, I blame her for my weight. Not my height. Not, not my height, but Judy cooks, and it's always good. She always asks, what do you want to eat? Just put it on the plate. Whatever it is, just surprise me. Surprise me. You know, I just, you, you know, I'm, anyway. But I'm not going to tell Judy, uh, you know, leave the meat, the steak there. Just give me the spices and put it on my plate. I'm ready. Thanks so much for joining us today, here on Running the Race. Pastor Eddie has been talking us through the book of 2 Timothy in this series, which is found in the Pauline epistles. As Paul's life and ministry are coming to a close, he writes to remind Timothy that although there were those that treated him poorly, there were also good people, faithful in helping him fight the good fight. In essence, this letter catches Timothy up on exactly who those men and women were, so that he's better prepared to effectively continue the ministry. Standing by your convictions and faith is no simple feat, and Paul understood that Timothy needed to know who he could depend on for help, besides Jesus, of course. Are you in a season where there's a struggle at every turn? If you're looking for help to navigate those difficulties, or simply need someone in your corner, 
Here's Jessica with an invitation just for you. We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to Homepage button. While you're there, you can listen to this teaching again or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks, Jessica. What a great invitation for those in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area. Remember that you can find more messages from Pastor Eddie on that same website, runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks so much for joining us today on Running the Race.